Welcome to the eighth episode of the comic book podcast pilot season. Today, it's the second chapter in the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. read-along. So this week, we're looking at Strange Tales, volume one, number 135. The cover date is August 1965. And before we can really get into the issue proper, we need to go through some of Marvel's history at this time. So Marvel had gone through a few names. It started as Timely Comics in 1939, and then in the 1950s, it moved from Timely to Atlas and started telling different kinds of stories. In about the middle of 1961, they started putting out Marvel Comics. And that was originally to separate itself from the Atlas Comics to protect the Atlas brand. Because they were going to tell a different kind of comics, and it was a type of comic that wasn't necessarily expected to see succeed in the market of the day, but they wanted to take a risk at it because Stanley was frankly tired of the juvenile and pedestrian stories that were being written. He was ready to just walk away from the comic book industry entirely. And his wife said, fine, they ask you to create this new team book because the Justice League was so successful. So when you make it, why don't you make it and write it your way? Who cares if you get fired? That team book was Fantastic Four. And because it was so far off the mark from what had been proven to be successful in the past, It was published as a Marvel book and not as an Atlas book. Well, the fact that just about everybody has heard about Marvel these days, and relatively few know about its history as Atlas, let alone timely, it's safe to say the experiment worked. But at the time, Marvel wasn't as strong as the competition. DC was the big dog in town. There's no question about that. And in fact, Marvel was renting time on DC's printing press, so that's how all their titles were coming out. Their arrangement with DC, or it wasn't formally with DC, it was with the printing press that was owned by the same company. So they were essentially working from DC, but it wasn't a linear connection. This printing press limited them to publishing eight titles per month. So one of the ways they got around that was with the classic idea of the anthologies. And we'll be talking a little bit more about this style of anthology in three days in the second chapter of the Golden Age Greats podcast. So with this, there was a very strict limit on the number of books they could put out. As I said, they took a page from the anthology title format and had their superhero characters sharing books. So one of the characters that was sharing was Nick Fury in his rebirth as a James Bond-type super spy. But to have him out there and to have the spy book on the market, which wasn't quite a superhero book but still fit in that universe, they needed to find a spot for him in the existing line of titles. So they had Amazing Spider-Man, they had Fantastic Four, they had Millie the Model, they had Patsy Walker, These titles were all coming out. There were a couple of other superhero titles as well, but most of them at this stage, I mean, we had the Avengers, we had the X-Men, and we had Daredevil. A lot of these were coming out bi-monthly, so that eight books per month limit could be circumvented by doing one book this month and a different book the next month. But of the titles that they had coming out, four of them were anthology format. One of them was Tales to Astonish, which had Ant-Man or Giant-Man, depending on the issue, but it was still Hank Pym and the Wasp in the lead, and the Hulk was the backup issue. Although based on fan mail, the Ant-Man or Hank Pym adventures weren't as popular, so he was going to be cancelled shortly. The Tales of Suspense title had both Captain America and Iron Man. That was doing fine. Journey into Mystery had 16-page Thor stories, and at the time it had backup stories that were telling some more accurate versions of the Norse myths. When I say more accurate, they were as accurate as they can get without contradicting the major points of Thor's main title, Journey into Mystery. And they had Strange Tales, which had a Human Torch lead feature that was struggling, and a Doctor Strange backup feature that was doing quite well. So they decided to end the Human Torch and the Ant-Man series. Ant-Man was replaced by Namor the Submariner, so Namor was the lead, Hulk was still the backup in Tales to Astonish, and it would run that way until issue 101. Meanwhile, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
replaced the Human Torch in the Strange Tales anthology book. So most of these comics had a 12-page lead story and then a 10-page backup split by the characters. And that was common. Even if you go back to the Superman and Batman comics at the time, a lot of those were seven or eight pages for three stories per book. If you go to Detective Comics, there'd be a Batman story, a Martian Manhunter story, and maybe a couple others. It was that type of format across the whole industry. So when Marvel brought the Hulk back from cancellation to serve as a backup behind Ant-Man's lead stories, we'll just pause for a moment, let that sink in. Ant-Man was the lead, Hulk was the backup. Anyway, I, I just don't see Bill Bixby warning people, you wouldn't like me when I'm tiny. But the Hulk stories were the first type to try a new structure, at least a new structure for Marvel, which was similar to the structure from the old-time radio Superman show, hosted by Adam Graham, who you probably listened to last week, at least in the first chapter of the Daredevil's Advocate podcast. This format was to tell one large story in many serialized parts, and when it's time for one story to end, they usually end up partway through one of these ten-part stories and get the next story going in the same issue to give readers incentive to come back for more. If we do have a clean break at the end of one story, in these dual-parters, usually the other half of the issue had a continuing story. So there seemed to be care to make sure that at no time could you say, I have a complete story and can walk away from the title. Early on, Nick Fury starts off with a few single-issue stories. He does become a much longer serialized format by the time this run is over. But for now, we're just looking at the one issue, because this issue is standalone. If you read the Doctor Strange chapter, and I recommend you do, you'll see that that one's part of an ongoing serial, taking after the Hulk model. Now, if you want to read this before we go into further detail on the story itself, there's a few places to find it. One is in Marvel Masterworks, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that collects all the strange tales before Jim Steranko takes over. Another way to do it is in Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited, which I will always advocate for. It's a great deal for what is effectively Netflix for Marvel Comics, and those do tend to have both the Nick Fury and the Doctor Strange stories in those formats. That's how we reread it today, even though I do have Marvel Masterworks. This first issue in this series was written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Dick Ayers, and lettered by Art Simak. This one is all about world building. So Nicholas Joseph Fury, a CIA colonel, has been summoned by the government to get measured for an LMD or a life model decoy. These robots work like three-card Monty, drawing enemy fire and exposing potential traps. So Nick Fury has no idea why the Pentagon and the White House want him, or why so many people are trying to kill him. In the course of the conversation, we get our first introductions to Hydra, to flying cars, and to S.H.I.E.L.D. as Nick is being transported to somewhere. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know why he's going. So the fireproof rocket-armed flying car, a Porsche 904, is showcased very strongly in this sequence. Nick Fury is brought into some sort of significant room upon arrival, filled with all sorts of world leaders that he recognizes, but he's still being literally kept in the dark. So he comes through a dark tunnel, doesn't understand exactly where he is. When he's there, he's greeted by the head of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Special Weapons and Experimental Weapons Division, specifically Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, who seems to be here partly because his role would make sense as the weapons developer for S.H.I.E.L.D., and partly just to drive home the fact that Marvel is one cohesive universe. So in this meeting filled with all these world leaders, he learns he has been selected to lead the Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division in the fight against Hydra. He doesn't believe he's the right man for the job. Before he can leave, though, he notices that someone has rigged a booby trap to his chair, and he just takes action immediately, ripping the chair off the ground, getting it out of the room with all the world leaders, and throwing out the nearest porthole, having no idea why there's a porthole in this building or where it leads. 
Although when he does throw it out, he realizes he's on the helicarrier. There's a great splash page on this by Jack Kirby. One of the few full page shots in this era, particularly rare in these half issue stories, but this one was worth it. He then orchestrates the capture of the tech who was responsible for the job and managed to get that coordinated. After he gets all this done, he realizes that, yeah, maybe he is the right guy for this job, accepts it. He is the first publicly known head of S.H.I.E.L.D., and by publicly known, I mean the first one that characters interact with on a regular basis in other titles. It's still officially a secret organization, although it will become much less secret as Nick Fury pops up left, right, and center in the future. Now, since the organization existed without him long before he took over, as those of us who've read Jonathan Hickman's series that they promise will end this year, or within the next year, know it's been around long enough that it's safe to assume Nick Fury is not the first head of S.H.I.E.L.D., but we just don't know who his predecessors were, why they left. As far as we could tell from reading this, the organization already exists. You are the right man to be in charge. And there's no discussion of the history of the organization. So this is where the Nick Fury super spy era really gets started. We see his confidence. There's outward confidence. He doesn't have an ego. He's not sure he's the right man for the job. But you know, when it comes to sniffing out booby traps and things like that, as he says, he, they may have made him a colonel, but he's still a three-striper at heart. There are some areas where he excels and he knows it. And there's some areas where he doesn't have the confidence yet. But the tech toys are there. The LMDs are there. We get an idea for S.H.I.E.L.D. We get some progressive moves in HYDRA as we see the first ever female to make this rank in HYDRA, which it feels a little sexist now in the 1960s to say, yeah, there's a woman working up the ranks and she's fairly highly positioned. That was the time. And it's nice to see it being represented when it doesn't need to be. But we'll see how that evolves over the coming weeks. But this is a very good start. We get a good setup for S.H.I.E.L.D., as I said, it is part of the Marvel Universe, but this isn't about superheroes and supervillains. This is a James Bond spy book with much bigger budgets than the 1960s James Bond movies. And when we get later on into the Jim Steranko era, well, if this podcast gets picked up, that's certainly what we'll do. If the readers vote for the Great Runs podcast is one that gets picked up, we'll still get to the Jim Steranko era on Nick Fury because his work was great. If one of the others is the one that wins, I guess we'll never get there. In any event, that pretty much wraps up what we have to say about Strange Tales number 135 in the second chapter of the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. series. If this series does get picked up, we will look at issue 136 at that time. In the meantime, come back tomorrow for the New Warriors read-along as we deal with New Warriors issue 1 from 1990. And then follow us the rest of the week, and remember to come back on Saturday and vote for your pick for the podcast to continue. Thank you for listening.